Hi, I'm Natalie Nowak, and you're listening to On My Way to a BFA. This podcast chronicles my experiences as I go through the process of getting my BFA in musical theater at the Hart School. I was just in the show Sweet Charity here at school, and it ended a few weeks ago, so I finally had time without all of those rehearsals after school to sit down and edit this episode, which was recorded over the summer. I'm so excited to share this interview with you because it features the wonderful actress, singer, author, podcaster, and Tony award-winning producer, Jenna Ushkowitz. Jenna starred on the hit TV show Glee as Tina Cohen Chang, and for anyone who knows me, you know that I am pinching myself right now because Glee was such an important part of my childhood. And I want to give a huge thank you to Andrew Bradis for being the connection maker extraordinaire that he is, which allows me to do cool interviews like this one. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Jenna Ushkowitz. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. So first of all, congratulations on your Tony Award. Um, (laughs) I think it's so cool and I want to talk more about that. So we're going to get into that a little later. But Sure. Thank you. (laughs) Of course. So first, I'd like to start off with your college experience. I read that you went to Marymount Manhattan College. And did you always know that you wanted to study theater in some form in college? No, it took me until about high school because I'd been in the business for so long As a kid, it never dawned on me that that could be a profession. Um, I always wanted to be a vet. My parents were like, she's going to make money for college and then, you know, get out of the business. Yeah. So for me, it was very much I thought I was going to go to Cornell and be a vet. And then in high school, I went to performing arts high school. And that's when I really like learned about the actual craft of theater and um, then realized that this was something that like I couldn't not do. So um it, it was. It wasn't until about like, it, time for applications that I really decided that I wanted to go into theater. There's a part of me because we can get in. We'll get into my actual experience at Marymount and my my experience with a BA. But like, um, there's a part of me that almost wished I doubled majored or had something done another major as well. I don't know that it would have changed the course of my career at all. But there's something that. Um, interesting about the thought of doing something completely different because there's so many people who did go to school and there's also so many people who did not at all. Yeah. And what I've learned is there are so many paths that lead to to what you do. And it's like, there's no one right way just from talking to people. It's very personal. Yeah, exactly. It's very personal to the to the person. Yeah. So what was your experience like in college? What were your classes like? What did you enjoy the most? Well, I went to Marymount. Um, for, you know, also like Annalie Ashford went to Marymount. Um, we did the same track. So she was a couple of years ahead of me and she did uh, the three-year track and she was out and then out and gone and all like basically on Broadway right after that. And so because I was also uh, professionally acting at that point as well and continuing that, um, I had an, an interesting experience because a lot of schools, they want you to not audition. They want you to, you know, like hunker down and learn like, you know, what they're teaching you. So um, for Marymount, because I mean, this was back in like 2004. So it was really a brand new program. Um, we only had a musical theater minor. So that was something that I had to sacrifice. I wanted a major. That's all I wanted was a musical theater major or a conservatory. And then I realized that like, the perks of being in New York City was something that I had to sacrifice the one for the other. I'm really glad I did um, because 
I think having a BA in theater performance and acting first is was uh, very important for me um, to really hunker down to like the the brass tacks of acting, um, which you can't, you know, like for musical theater, sometimes like for me, it was like music was a crutch. Music was the thing that filled the space. Mm -hmm. So that was um, definitely something that I really appreciated. We were the guinea pigs. So everything was like, now they have daily dance where every morning you go to like Ripley Greer or Pearl Studios and you take dance every morning. For, For us, it was completely optional. And it was at new new dance group, which I don't even think exists anymore. So, <laughs> so it was really. I mean, sometimes we would get off the train and be like, "Should we just go to breakfast instead?" Because we didn't have to. <laughs> we didn't have to. So it was very much like um, uh, we were like the tester, like you know, like the the placebo <laughs> for like. And um, I like that because everything is experimental. And I don't know now that I would have been able to graduate in three years had I not um, had the, uh, you know, had we had like this very solid program that was like yes or no structure. Um, I did take liberal arts classes. I did not go to a conservatory. So I took math and I took science and I, I mean, I did it all and I hate it. I hate it, but, um, (laughs) but you know, you do it. It's, it's part of being part of a liberal arts school. And actually I think, my friends going to conservatory were going to conservatories at the same time were actually like legitimately like wanting to kill themselves sometimes because of the um, the juries and how they you know make you present yourself and so I definitely part of me wanted that and part of me like looks back and is like thank God they didn't put me through that because I I don't know that I would have made it out without like twenty ulcers throughout four years. <laughs> yeah, no, I can relate to that. Yeah, and the the guinea pig part was hard because like nobody really seemed to know exactly what they wanted from us and so I I had a really hard time I almost dropped out a couple of times from school because um most of our classes are performance-based and when I couldn't show up because I was auditioning or working like that was a problem and so uh I definitely had some issues with that but other than that like I'm very grateful I went and I'm very grateful for my my BA for sure. (laughs) Were you in Spring Awakening while you were in college for part of the time or was those two totally? They were it was six months after I I booked. It was six months after okay okay. Yeah I was bartending in school I was bartending and hostessing in school and then yeah it took about six months. So now looking back do you think that does and this is like we talked about how everybody has different paths. Do you think that having a formal education in theater gave you any advantage in the business, or is it kind of just like just another step of what propelled you to where you are today? I mean, I guess a little bit of both. I mean, it definitely personally propelled me into uh, the actor I am today and the person I am today. I don't know that it necessarily you necessarily need it, but I do think like I had a friend who started way after college and he didn't go to school for it. He didn't do anything, never really acted before and is working on TV now. So it's just wild. But I do find that some sort of training is um, important for a structure for yourself, a structure for your preparation, a structure for your technique. Like there has to be something at least now, you know what I mean? Like, even if you didn't go to necessarily get a full four years or three years of school, but I think it's important. And it definitely, 
it definitely um, like opened my eyes, like dramaturgy and like theater history. Like I didn't know any of these things. I didn't know I needed any of things, these things, but I definitely think it makes me a more well-rounded actor and a person yeah. and know how much is out there. And I also think like, you know, classical is not my thing. I'm not, I, I am horrible at, I am a contemporary. I'm horrible at all of it. it. It's very hard for me. So it's not, it's not my thing and that's okay. Like, I think that's fine. Yeah. But definitely learning about it um, taught me like, not my thing. <laughs> not exactly. No, that's so important. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even the things that maybe we're not naturally drawn to that we learn in school. It's so, I've never looked at it that way, but I think that's cool. It's like, okay, I know what this, what everything's about. So I can choose what I connect to and what exactly. I don't. And like, I always thought about going back for a master's in, I don't know, acting, theater. I just, I've, I'm like an overachiever and I'm like, ooh, maybe I'll do my master's while I have time. And um, knowing what I went through in college, I don't think it's for me. It's so much reading and it's so much dramaturgy, I feel like, and I so much history and I don't, I don't necessarily think that's what, I'm, I'm much more of an act, active performer in a different sense. And that's kind of why I like producing was more interesting to me. He was more active. So yeah. Speaking of producing and all that you've done, I feel like it's so cool that you've been able to do so many things within the business and not just stick with one. Like I, I admire that and I hope to do something similar. So I wanted to, before we get into producing, talk a little bit about podcasting because you're the first person who I've interviewed who is a fellow Yay. podcaster. So I kind of want to pick your brain about that um, because you did Infinite Positivities and most recently Epic yeah. Fail. So can you tell me about those and how you started creating sure. them? Sure. Um, it was actually like in between my producing gigs that, um, you you know, this podcast world was, was kind of like, you know, coming up uh, in our social mediums. And I wrote a book in 2013 called Choosing Glee, all about my perspective on the world and how I realized that not everybody knows how to choose positivity every day and not everybody. And so like little tips and anecdotes from my life and how I've sort of come up with this very optimistic, um, like, you know, outlook on life. And so um, out of that, my my friend who was looking to get out of the restaurant business and start a podcast network, um, I happened to be in New York or like moving back. And he was like, look, I'm looking, you know, I'm really looking to do podcasts. And I was like, well, I'm really looking to host a podcast. So as he was building up this network, he was like, "Let you know, you can be one of my first hosts and one of the first shows and let's like structure your show. And so we based, the first season was based off of my book and chapters and these amazing humans and, you know, successful people who uh, I, I chose a topic for each one that sort of I thought might fit. And we just chatted about it. And um, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed, I feel like hosting is a whole other skill set that I had done a little bit as well. And so you really have to learn how to listen and curve a conversation. And I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. That was something that um that I got into like in this weird little like world where I always feel like things just kind of fall into place the one they're supposed to. I like think about it and then like I say it out loud and then it kind of happens. Yeah. So that's like that's been like my life really. It was like my book I had mentioned to my manager. I thought about it for a while. Was like I'm too young to write a memoir. Or like let's not do that yet. And then I mentioned it to him, and he was like, "That's so funny." A literary agent contacted me and asked me if you wanted to write a book. Oh my god! Things like that kind of fall into place, and so 
So I've just kind of, I've gone with it. <laughs> and then Epic Fail was my second season. And it was more, most exciting because social media these days, there's all this positivity and there's all this preaching about, you know, optimism and, um, you know, uh, you know, quotes and, you know, bloggers and influencers. And sometimes it can get really overwhelming. And I think like not everybody's happy all the time. Not everybody's positive all the time. It's not, it's just not realistic. So I decided to sort of turn the podcast on its head. And um, I figured like, who do I know the most? Like, what do I know the most about? What do I enjoy the most? And it's performing on stage and on set. And so we came up with this idea that why don't we just ask people to tell their like horror stories about performing? And it's, everybody has them. I mean, we still go through them every day, auditioning in school, in life. Like, it just happens. You know, when you ask somebody, you're like, do you have that story? They're like, yes, I have that story. I'm like, can you just come in and tell it on, you know, on tape? And so um, that's how Epic Fail sort of uh, emerged from Infinite Positivity. So it was truly, they seem so different, but they are truly like one in each other, I think. And mm -hmm. um, the reality is with, people who are successful, all that, I, you know, had great careers, all have these stories, and they've all failed, and they all are supposed to fail. So it's like, it's all a part of the success. So that's where that came from. Yeah, I love, I love podcasting. I really enjoy it. I, I'm not sure we're kind of on hold right now, because my life's in a million different directions. But, um, but yeah, I mean, we had two really good seasons so far. So we'll see. Yeah, just from my perspective, listening to all the episodes, I was like, wow, these people who are seemingly, you know, perfect, perfect. or we put them on a pedestal. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's like they make mistakes too and they mess up <laughs> and it helps as a young performer to hear that and be like, so it's going to be okay, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's very real. It's very real. <laughs> yeah. And relating to podcasting, do you approach being interviewed in a different way now that you've been on the other side and you have interviewed people? Like, does it do you have a different perspective on interviews at all? Interesting. It was it was very different for me because it was more different to host than it was to now be uh, interviewed because hosting, you have to lead a conversation in the way that you want. But now, yes, because I will ask before, like if it's a very specific podcast, I'll say like, what are you looking to get out of this? What are you looking to tell your, your listeners? Because then... Um, I'm not wasting anybody's time. And like, I can really, I can lead a conversation in the sense that like, I know what you're asking or what you're looking for. That's what I'm going to try and give you. So yes, I, I definitely do. I, I try and help more. And like, I always find the more that the interviewer, like uh, the uh, interview, we talks like, it's like, it makes your interviewer's life so much easier. You know what I mean? Like the, yeah, the host, no, totally. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. So I want to talk about your Tony Award, which you won for Once on this <laughs> Island. I didn't know that you were involved in the production. And when I was watching the Tony Awards, we had our interview scheduled and I'm like watching my TV and I was like, wait, what? That's Jenna. <laughs> what? And so then, of course, you know, diving into that, really I was funny. like, this is great. Yeah. So I just want to know how you got involved in producing and if it's something you always wanted to do. I never, if you told me, if you told college Jenna that she was going to produce a Broadway show, I would have laughed in her face. I really would have. There's not, um, it wasn't until much later in my career that I really um, honed in on things that I never thought I could do. So like, first with the book, that was like the big one that I really was like, I can't write a 
book. Like I haven't written since I wrote a paper in school. <laughs> yeah. So that was very interesting to me to go, okay, so I can do this. And I've always had this kind of brain that's not always just actory, but like I'm type A, I'm an overachiever, I'm very organized, like I'm productive. That's like, if you ask me like the quality that I think is like, I'm like, I'm a productive human. Mm -hmm. So like that to me, I was like, okay, so how do I, how do I use this to monetize it in ways, you know what I mean? To make some passive income, like, cause that's all we really want. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was approached by actually Ashley, who is a friend of Andrew's, and she's my producing partner. And Hunter Arnold, who is the lead producer of Once on this Island, actually created this initiative. You know, let's find some producers that, uh, some females, some young, under 40, like, let's find producers of color, like, to represent what this show represents. And he couldn't find any. So he decided that he was going to make them. So now he gave us this opportunity to join the show as a co-producer. We still had to raise money. We still had to do exactly what producers do. We had to find a network of people. It was um, so enlightening to me. And I came in fairly late in the process, but Ashley was like, you know, would you want to be a part of this initiative? And would you want to do this together? So I came in with Ashley and we, uh, we did our raise as you know co-producers do, and we were lucky enough to do it in the in the amount of time that we like the very short week and a half that we had, and um, that was the first taste of it. And I was like, I also have a nonprofit called the Kindred Foundation for Adoption, which is like a whole other thing. But yeah, um, I asking people for money for charity, asking people money to invest, it's kind of in the same realm. You're kind of like you know, this is why, and this is what you'll see, and this is what you'll get from it. And so that was definitely like something that I had learned from the foundation that I didn't realize was going to be very valuable for producing. So that's really where I started to learn about like networking and all of my networking skills more than just, Hey, let's meet with a producer. Cause there's a movie that they might like you to read, you know, be a part of. Yeah. So it was definitely a very different thing, but I kept quiet because you know, a lot of people didn't realize until um, the Tonys, just because like, it's a whole new thing for me. It was incredibly scary. I, I took a very large risk doing this. I didn't really know what it would, the payoff was going to be. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> it's so silly and ridiculous. And I don't, it has still hasn't really hit me. Like, it's only been like, we're only like a week out. Yeah. So I'm, I'm still like, oh, sometimes I'll remember. And it's it's just a lifelong dream. And so, I, I mean, it's just a testament to, I think, you have to, like, go with the journey. You have to go with, like, the way the like the wind takes you. It was never the way that I thought I'd ever be nominated or win a Tony in my whole life, obviously. Like, it was just the last thing that I thought. And so it was such a pleasant turn of events for my for my career and my producing career. I've learned in some different situations that when you just let it go and you're like, whatever is going to happen with this, I'm going to let it happen. That's so rewarding rather than being like, I'm going to push and I'm going to try it because then you never feel fulfilled by that. So I love that it was just whatever happens will happen. And it did. And it's yeah, great. I mean, and I yeah, I love it. I thank you. <laughs> One of the big lesson I've learned also is just to like... Uh, do things like that and keep quiet, keep your head down, work really hard, you know, um, take the risks and you don't have to, you don't have to announce it to the world. Like 
there's things that I announce to the world because I want to hold myself accountable for. Um, and there's things, and especially with social media now, like my fans will definitely hold me accountable. Right. But <laughs> like, there are things that like, you don't have to do that with. And like, there's things that you can be just for you and a test just for like, to see where you, where it takes you. So that was like a really big lesson I learned this month and this year. Yeah. I love that. And I also read Ooh. that for your Glee audition, you sang Waiting for Life to Begin from Once on this Island. And now you're telling me from Once on this Island. Like, like if you would have told that Jenna, hey, so you're going to... Exactly. Full circle. And I love those moments. Thank you for, for noticing that. Yeah, a lot of people don't. And I, yeah, I never, never in a million years, never in a million years, any of it. You know yeah. what I mean? It was just a great 32 bars. Yeah. Like, oh, my <laughs> gosh. When I read it, I was like, oh, my gosh, that is, that connection is just so I know. Cool. It's crazy. Yeah. It's really, really crazy. I have things like that all the time happen to me. And I'm sure everybody does. And truly, like, it's always just my my little synchronicity thing where I'm like, I'm just in the right place at the right time. You know, I'm just I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Even when things are really shitty, <laughs> like I'm still where I'm supposed to be. I have one question about Glee. I can't interview you and not ask you about Glee. I get it. I'm also, I th- you're not going to see this in the podcast, but I'm my office, I have this, this big Glee plaque behind me. And I never realized, like, I just moved into this office. I'm just laughing because I, I'm realizing now all of my Skype meetings are just all Glee. <laughs> well, it's fine because I have my Glee cup, the lima bean, you know. Oh. <laughs> Oh my God, where did you get that from? My dad got it for me for my birthday when I was 13, maybe, <laughs> because Glee was on from the ages of, I think I, it started when I was 10, and then it ended when I was about 16. So it's like that prime age, you know? That's really funny. I have, um, we have, we have wrap glasses, we have uh, these glasses, like the clear water glasses that, um, and they have like the lima bean and breadstick. Yes, friendly and like McKinley High. So I, those are actually just like in my in my cabinet. I love it. From an entertainment standpoint, especially when I was that age, Glee, I mean, it was everything to me. And it it had a profound impact on my life. So I just want to thank you for that because you were definitely a huge part of that. Oh, thank you. I, I love that. And I'm curious... I'm curious about the preparation for some of the songs um, and how that differs from theater, just because when you had to do super emotional numbers, but you're on a TV set, I imagine it might go something like, okay, that was great. Let's try it again. And you're surrounded by all this equipment. And when you're on stage, there's an audience right there. You can feel it. So did you have to emotionally prepare differently? Yeah, it's definitely a skill that I had to learn very quickly on the show. Um, You know, coming from theater, I think, it was, uh, it's easy to know in six weeks of rehearsal or four weeks of rehearsal where you're going to go and what you need to get there every night, right? Like, or what you're going to need to get what you want to say um, out. Whether And, and it's never going to be the same, obviously, but like, it's going to be fairly solid and similar in your structure. I, you know, in regards to like respect for your other actors as well. So like, I just think that that was, um, it's an incredibly easier way to it's also hard because it's after a hundred shows you're like how how do I do this again um but on screen like it's yeah it's different it's it's different because we're um in in Glee we were pre-recorded and we were lip-syncing to each uh, number so not only were do we have to think about 
our intention, what we want, our emotions, how to how we're looking on screen, but then also lip syncing correctly at the same time. So it looks very real because they're this close. Yeah, it's definitely something that I, I had to prepare differently for just because it's instantaneous. And it's uh, I listen to music a lot when I'm on set, when I don't want to um, socialize or I have to prep. It takes me a second. Like some actors are able to literally turn around and like be talking in the middle of a conversation. They say action and you can fall into your character in their scene. I'm, I'm not that white at all. Um, so it really takes me a while. And then I'm a crier in general. And so when they, they started to learn that, they started to write Tina as a crier. That's why she cries so much. Oh, okay. I cried a lot. So they thought it was funny. <laughs> But I cried a lot. So like when I did like a funny Valentine, I think the song was, I, I'm like, guys, this is so hard. This is so hard. So I really had to, even though it's funny and people think it's funny and everybody's laughing at me, like uh, behind the camera, like I actually had to go somewhere that allowed me to actually do that. And so it was, it's like, it's kind of this weird thing. And yeah, I did have to, I always like, I started to learn though. Like I had to isolate myself. I had to like, not, you know, uh, listen to this playlist for, for myself that actually Romy Rosemont who played Finn's mom, she taught me about like, she always, always listened to music when she had to cry or when she had an emotional scene. So like, I sort of learned from these other, you know, incredible, like, you know, veterans of the screen. And, and so, um, but yes, it was, it's totally different and it's really weird. And it's, um, it's just a whole different skill set. Yeah, it seems like it. So it, it fascinated me because I didn't even think about the lip syncing because it looks real. So I'm like, oh, but of course that that's another layer. I just did hello again, hello again, the movie. And we did, li- we live, we sang live on set. So we had like earwigs kind of, and then um, uh, an accompanist that was playing in our ear, just like a basic track, because they wanted to do like Les Mis, where you're not stuck with the choices that you made on, you know what I mean, um, in, in, the stu- in the studio. Yeah, so that was totally different. I really enjoyed that. Cool. Well, that's all the questions I have, but thank you for taking the time to do this. It means a lot. And I'm sure people loved hearing your perspective on everything. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of On My Way to a BFA. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Jenna. It was so fun to talk to her. You can follow Jenna on Instagram and Twitter at Jenna Ushkowitz. Also follow at Broadway Radio on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and send any feedback or questions. And while you're at it, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Natalie underscore Nowak. That's N-O-A-C-K. 